name is Jerry, one of the pastors here, and I am thrilled, so thrilled to be here with you to uh, dive into the book of Acts uh, for our first full-on message. Matt did a great job last week introducing uh, the book of Acts and this series that we're going to be in for the next several months, and this is our first opportunity to really dive in full-on, and, um, and I'm excited about it. This is such a pivotal moment for our church and our church's history. And I don't think it is ironic at all that we are beginning at the beginning. That uh, in, the, in, the, in the span of humanity and Christianity, uh, here we are over 2,000 years from when this was written and when the church began. It's so important for us to go back to that beginning so that we can see the church in its infancy and in its purity. That's our goal is we want to get way upstream of what God wanted when he designed and planned for the church. Because we know the more and more you get downstream, the more muddied things get, the more convoluted things get. And unfortunately, what we have here today, no offense to you guys personally, I'm just saying today in America, the American version of what church is is far different than what the original was. So man, I'm hoping and praying that we can all expectantly, with open hearts and open minds, step back and look at the purity of this first church. Not in its perfection, because there was a whole lot of issues going on uh, there as well, which we will soon see. But look at that and ask God, what do you want from us individually plus corporately? What do you want us to learn and what do you want this church to be? Now, I need to tell you that, um, you know, it's always interesting when you go through the book of Acts um, because, you know, you start to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure you noticed in several of our songs that was mentioned, and we're going to be talking a lot about the Holy Spirit. And in uh, contemporary Christianity, you know, you got lots of different kinds of churches, right? How many people came from more of a charismatic type of church where you talked about the Holy Spirit a whole lot? Raise your hand up really high. All right, and if you're really charismatic, put both of them up and start doing that. I know you're waiting to do that. Thank you, Mike. That's good. That's all right. We need some of that. And how many people came from, you know, a non-hand-raising kind of church that was a little, yep, I know you want to raise them. That's good. Raise them up. Doesn't it feel good? It's okay. But that's the way I was. It was very much a non-hand-raising church, uh, and it was completely the opposite of being expressive It was any expression whatsoever, and you were kind of singled out and given evil looks by um, old women. You know, that's the kind of church that I went to, to be honest with you. And my parents listen to the podcast faithfully every week. Mom, I wasn't talking about you. You know, I'm just talking about other people that are just like, you know what? The church needs to be reverent and quiet and silent and, mm, you know. Well, I'll tell you what, man. We dive into Acts, and you're not seeing that, and, uh, you know... We'll get into that next week um, for sure. But the point is, this is going to be such a great series because you get two different spectrums, right? You get some people that grew up all the way over here where all you talk about is the Holy Spirit and the expressions and, and maybe you've been in some of those kinds of churches. And then you get people all the way on the other spectrum where there's never any talk of the Holy Spirit, all right? Uh, people are afraid of the Holy Spirit. And growing up in my culture, in my context, I didn't even know what the Holy Spirit was because you know what we called it? The Holy Ghost. 
Imagine for a five and six-year-old and you're talking about the Holy Ghost, right? Ghosts are not good, typically, when you're growing up. Halloween's coming up next week, or, you know, in a couple days, so. But you're like, the Holy Ghost, what does that mean? Is this Casper? Like, it's a good ghost, but it's still a ghost, and like, you're just all confused about it. We never talked about it. Like Matt said last week, my, my church, where I grew up, was kind of the church where you talked about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible, Right? So it's like the only spirit talk that we have is like, oh no, this is just where God's spirit works, only right through here. Um, so none of that's for us anymore. So you've got an interesting dichotomy between what would be considered prescriptive. In other words, this is what you need to do. We're prescribing this uh, for all of you to do all the things that are in the book of Acts versus just descriptive right? It's describing something. It's not necessarily for us. You see the difference? And there's a whole lot of opinions all throughout um, uh, the span of Christianity. And there are some that would say what happened in Acts is absolutely prescriptive. Our church needs to look exactly like it did in the book of Acts. Well, I would have a problem with that. I don't agree with that at all. And I can give you several examples right out of the gate. Right at the end of chapter 1, you know how they decided to replace one of the disciples that, you know, Judas, who had hung himself? You know how they decided to replace him? They cast lots. You know what that means? They flipped a coin. They asked the magic eight ball. Some of you got that reference. Many of you didn't. That's okay. But I can tell you that's not prescriptive. Okay, uh, can you imagine if we were, you know, having some more elders or some more deacons to join our team and we had two great guys up here and, you know, it was like, well, I don't know, they're both really godly men. What should we do? Let's just flip a coin. I think God will be in it. Boop. Here we go. Right? Not necessarily prescriptive. Later on in Acts chapter 5, you know, you get the account of Ananias and Sapphira, a husband and wife team that were very generous, but they actually lied about how much money they were giving, and they dropped dead immediately. I don't think that's going to happen here this morning. If someone's like, hey, I got a great gift I want to give to the church, and I sold a big piece of land, and you kind of lied a little bit about what the land costs, I don't think you're necessarily going to drop dead right here in front of us. That would be really sad. Okay, so certain things happened in the book of Acts uh, for a number of different reasons, but we're not necessarily going to say that all of these things happen today. Some are prescriptive, some are descriptive, and one of our tasks that we're really excited about is helping us determine as a church body which are which, okay? So we're excited about that. As we approach this book, uh, there's two different ways um, that you can approach it. And I found this one pastor uh, who, who wrote this that I thought was so insightful. Listen to this. He says, scholars and soldiers tend to be the ones who study history the most. Scholars want to look at what people used to do. Soldiers want to see what remains to be done. Those who are scholars study history for the sake of information, but those who are soldiers study it for the sake of mission. Isn't that huge for us this morning? So we don't want to come to you in an academic setting and say, you know what, we're just going to go through this book of Acts in a very scholarly fashion with lots of history and background and context. Um, there's going to be some of that for sure, but we don't want to study this just as scholars of history. 
Instead, my challenge to you is that we need to study this as soldiers who are waiting for our marching orders and to understand what our mission is. When soldiers are out on the battlefield, you don't typically find them napping or lazy, right? Let's put it in most of our context. Ever played paintball before? As soon as somebody says go and you're running out to get your spot and you're hiding behind a log somewhere, you're probably not taking a nap, right? Why? Because you never know when somebody's about ready to light you up from the other team. So there's that that element of danger and vigilance that we need to be ready for as soldiers. And that's how we need to dive into the book of Acts. Because let me tell you, there's a battle and a war going on against the church. And if we're walking in like zombies and half asleep and uh, just looking for more information or some little nugget that we didn't know about before, we've lost it. We need to approach this as if it means everything to us. And that there's a war going on and we're not unaware of the enemy's schemes. So we need to be as full as we can and as powerful as we can be as a church body to withstand the schemes of the enemy and to take holy ground on our knees foot by foot for the sake of the kingdom of God. That's what we're talking about when we talk about studying the book of Acts. Okay? Uh, just as a side note, this is going to be a battle. This is going to be something where we need a field manual and a war manual. And uh, if you were here last week, you remember that we announced to you that we have produced this study guide to accompany uh, this, this entire study. Uh, we wrote this whole thing ourselves. And last week, we uh, gave them to you. One per family is what our church wanted to invest in you. Um, and so um, we've got some more of those. I need to tell you, last week they went like hotcakes. We're already going to have to order more, which is really exciting. Um, but we have about, at least at the beginning of first service, we had maybe about 30 or so left. Uh, already some more around the way, and maybe some of those went already. But I encourage you to grab one of these. One per family is our gift to you. If you want to buy more than that, if you've got some high school kids or everybody wants their own copy, that's, that's fantastic as well. And they're $5 each. Uh, basically is what our cost to, to print them was. So um, in them, there's a little commentary at the beginning uh, introducing the series. All this is lined up exactly week by week with what our schedule is, okay? And um, there's actually a spot for notes to take during the messages. Um, there's a family devotion each week as well. Again, if we're in battle, we need to be in battle together as a family. So really encourage you guys to read over this. We've got... Um, kind of created an a easy a way for you to remember how to study scripture. We've got three icons, a picture, a mirror, and a window. And that's just uh, the, your staple way of interpreting, in, interpreting scripture. Uh, observation, interpretation, and conclusion. Okay, so a picture is what do you see in the text? What do you observe? Uh, the mirror is as you look at that and compare that to your own life. What things jump out? What do you need to change? What examples do you need to follow? That sort of thing. And then the window means how does that change your perspective as you look out at the world? What do you need to do about that now? And I'll tell you what, my, one of our goals as a staff and as pastors is we want to look back on this series and be like, you know what success was? We had our families in God's word together, engaging and talking and applying and making changes in their lives um, together as a family, amen? 
That's what our goals are. So, man, we want to challenge you to do that. Grab one of these. Um, bring some money next week, and we'll have more and get your kids into it week by week. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah. So thanks for being with us on the journey, guys. We are so stoked about this. And um, let's go ahead and dive right in. The way we've kind of crafted the message this morning is um, Acts chapter 1. And we're going to be talking about verse 3 all the way to verse 14. And basically, this is the cornerstone. This is the anchor text for what the entire big idea is for the next six months. Uh, our phrase that we have that we've been centered on is taken from this main verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And, um, and basically, the way we've crafted it is we've got four answers, four points that we're going to be making, all answering the question, what did Jesus say um, the, the, the church was going to be? Okay, this is technically a little bit before the church was first formed, okay, because we'll get into that next week with Acts chapter 2. But even so, Jesus was giving hints about here's what you can expect, all right? And so if you're taking notes, you can just uh, follow the screen, one through four, taken directly from the text, and uh, this is what Jesus' message to them was. If you're taking notes, first one that we want you to write down, what is Jesus' message to them? Um, hey, here's the deal about church. Number one, it will look different than what you thought. It's going to look a lot different than what you thought. Anybody ever been in a church where you're looking around and you're like, this isn't what I thought it was going to be, right? Some of you are visiting here for the first time. You're like, um, yeah, that's me. We've been in a lot of different churches and seen a lot of different things. And sometimes you walk in and you're like, there's something not right about this. I can remember I went to one church and, uh, you know, they would take the offering in these huge buckets of all cash or whatever. They would bring it up to the pastor who was sitting on this massive throne. Anybody go to one of those churches, the throne churches? <laughs> okay. And he would take a look at it and he'd, you know, just be kind of fingering through it. And he would go like this. And take a whole nother offering. It wasn't enough. I'm not even kidding. There's about four offerings in that church. I kid you not. One day that man will stand in judgment. I am quite confident. But man, we think about the black eyes that can be on so many churches that have watered down the gospel, that are liberal, that have uh, been preaching something that's not even the true gospel, that never used God's word. And you think about the last 2,000 years even of organized Christianity and you think about all the black eyes on institutional religion because people didn't stand up for truth and they didn't follow the example of what we're given here in Acts. Now, this coming Sunday, today, is actually commemoration a very important day anybody know what today is considered in the in the realm of christianity i'm surprised first hour people are more astute today is reformation sunday and that's especially important because it's the 500 year anniversary of the reformation when it began a guy named martin luther who was a monk, and who was full-on in the throes of organized institutional Christianity. 
And he became, over the years, so disturbed, so upset, so angry, so confused about what the church was saying versus what he found in Scripture. And he was wrestling with it and studying it. And finally, in an act of rebellion and an act of holy zeal and anger, he wrote down, anybody know how many? 95 theses or 95 statements, 95 complaints about the church. And he went right to that church in Wittenberg, Germany, and he nailed it right on the door. 95. Okay, now this is not prescriptive. We don't want you to make a big, long list of everything that you think is wrong in the church, right? But it's really interesting as we're, as we're diving into this that that day happens to uh, coincide with what we're doing. Because we're, yeah, recognizing and highlighting as we, as we examine the church in its purity the church in its obscurity and the church in its brokenness and the church in its weakness and what it's turned into. So what did Jesus promise? What did he say? Let's go on and get right into the text because there's so much good stuff in here. Number one, it will look different than you thought. It's going to look different than you thought. Let's carry on in verse, uh, in verse um, uh, 3. Um, of, sorry, verse 4 of Acts. It says this, And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now just imagine the disappointment in these guys once again. Because they thought they knew. They had been following around Jesus, many of them for three years, had been learning from him, had been, um, you know, performing miracles themselves at some levels and being used. And, and they're like, finally, okay, the Messiah is here. The Messiah rose from the dead. Nobody else did that before. And so now at this time, okay, we're ready for the next step. We know the next step is reign and rule and justice and peace and goodness and binding up those who are broken. We're ready for it, Jesus. All right, here we go. Next step. Is, is now the time? Is this going to be the kingdom? And Jesus says, no, it's not. He said, no, it's actually not, and uh, it is not for you to know. It's for God to know and for you to find out. You ever say that to your kids? It's for me to know and for you to find out, you know? Or, or the phrase, we'll see. We'll see. So like, Jesus, is now the time? He's like, no, it's not, and I'm not really going to give you too much more details. But just imagine the utter disappointment at that. It wasn't going to look like they thought it was going to look like. That's bad news. And, you know, maybe honestly for some, you walked in here and maybe you're just giving church a try. Or maybe you've been giving church a try for 10 or 15 or 30 or 50 years. And it's not what you thought it would be. Maybe there's an element of disillusionment even, just like for the disciples. They didn't get it. They didn't know. They had no idea really what it was going to be. Well, we want to know that that, uh, that that attitude is welcome here. And, and we recognize full well that our church has a long way to go to look like this one. But that's why we're studying it, right? Amen? That's why we're diving in. It's not 
going to be what you thought it was going to be. Point number two. Here's what Jesus promises. He says, you will receive power through the Holy Spirit. Verse number eight is where it highlights that. Acts 1.8, that's our cornerstone, that's our anchor. He says, but don't be disheartened, don't be discouraged, guys. I know it's not what you thought, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That statement right there all of a sudden turned that really bad news, that disappointing news, into unbelievably good news. You ever get that? Do you want the bad news first or the good news first? They got the bad news first, but it was quickly followed up with this statement that says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now listen, these disciples, many of them, they knew their Old Testament. And the Holy Spirit didn't just come on the scene in Acts chapter 2. All throughout the Old Testament, you see the Holy Spirit would come upon people, give them incredible strength, incredible displays of, 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 of strength, power, passion, everything else. You think about Elijah. Remember when he ran in front of the chariots? It says the Spirit came upon him, and he was able to do these incredible feats. They knew all of that, and they said, wait, that's going to be coming to us? Unbelievable. And you have to imagine at this point, that Jesus was looking at them and he, he knew that they had such potential. Did anybody ever hate it when somebody said, you've got a lot of potential? Doesn't that seem like a little bit of a, you know, a backhanded compliment is what we say? <laughs> it's like, mm, you're starting to play the guitar. Yeah, you've got some potential. Which means, basically, you think about that word potential, what's the root word? potent and that means power right you ever walk into a middle school boys locker room and the smell that's in there it's potent it's like power right but potential means like yeah you maybe are gonna have some of that power we'll see how it goes but Jesus is looking at them and he's like, yep, I see the potential. I see what you're going to be. And as I was studying through this, man, guys, what came to my mind was an illustration from probably 7th or 8th grade science class. Anybody remember the, the idea of um, energy and the two different kinds of energy? You got like kinetic energy, which means something that's already moving, like a boat going across the water, a speedboat or something like that. But then you remember the other kind of energy? potential energy somebody said it over here good they haven't changed the textbook in 30 years potential energy and I can remember it like it was yesterday sitting in class and my teacher putting the you know the the thing on the screen you know that like they used to have the photo 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 thing what's it called overhead projector and that doesn't have to do with photos thank you for that putting on the overhead and they showed kinetic energy something already moving and then they showed potential energy and what they showed was like a giant reservoir and it said potential energy and there was a dam on it and the idea was although it wasn't moving although it was stagnant just with one little act another force being put upon it it all of a sudden had all the potential in the world to do all kinds of damage and I can remember another illustration of like a car, a cartoon um, character of like a hill, and there was a car on top of the hill. Potential energy. 
in the definition of potential energy is something that really has got a chance to do it, but it needs to be acted on by an outside force. Whether it be just a tiny little tap, or whether it needs to be the dam just opening up, or breaking, whatever it is, all that movement is going to happen. It's there, but it just hasn't been acted on yet. And you can see in the life of Christ, he's looking around at his disciples. He's like, you know what I see here? Potential energy. It's there, but it's stagnant. It hasn't been moved upon yet. And I think about us as a church and as individuals. And we take ourselves and we put ourselves right here. And we think about this idea and this promise that we will have power. That's in the future. We will have power in the potential energy that exists. The potential power for change and impact in this community that exists corporately as a church and individually as people. And that gets me fired up. Remember the definition? It needs to be acted on by some sort of outside force. Another thought that came to my mind as I was reading this is, you know what increases this idea of potential energy? Is tension. A few years back, I was in a, I was in a boat um, with some friends, and we were going tubing, and uh, it was one of those situations where somebody fell off the tube, and the tube kind of flipped over, and it was like... It had the mesh kind of on the bottom, you know what I mean? So it's skipping all over, but it flipped over. And when it flipped over, it kind of turned, and there was some sort of something going on with the water kind of getting caught in there. So the boat was still going, but this tube was filling up with water and resisting. And so you sensed that that rope was getting tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. And you're like, oh, that doesn't look like it's really supposed to be going that way. And like we're all standing there looking right back at all this tension increasing and increasing and increasing. Huh, I wonder what's going to happen. Boom. The whole entire mechanism that was on the tube, hard plastic and some metal, popped off of the tube and went whipping right back at the back of the boat and nailed this one dude right in the chest. I mean, it could have taken his head off. But the fact that there was tension and resistance and something going on only increased the potential energy. And so I don't know if that illustration means anything to you this morning. But I'm here to tell you right now, in your life right now, in our church right now, the idea of tension and difficulty is increasing and for these guys, think about it. They're looking up like, Jesus, we don't understand. We're disillusioned now, and, and we don't know what's going to happen. We're anxious right now. We don't know what's going to happen. And Jesus is there. He's like, man, I know that there's tension among you guys. I know there's confusion among you guys. But, man, that's only going to increase and propel my message forward. This idea that Jesus just laid down, that you will receive power through the Holy Spirit, is incredible. Remember, Acts and Luke are written by the same person, Luke, right? It's, it's basically, these two books need to be connected at the hip. They're very similar. And so as Luke is writing in the book of Acts, it's especially significant where he writes down the account that Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is going to be um, given to you and you're going to have power because immediately all those guys will realize that according to Luke's account, the Holy Spirit did a lot in the life of Jesus. I think sometimes we look at Jesus and we're like, yeah, you know what? He kind of cheated. 
Yeah, he did a lot of stuff, but he was also God. I mean, come on. So can I really be like he was? Well, let's not give Jesus that quick of a pass. He was absolutely God, without a doubt. We believe that. But he was also fully man. And that means Jesus, in his humanity, got hurt. He experienced physical pain. He experienced emotional pain. He experienced betrayal. He experienced fear. He experienced anxiety. He experienced confusion. He experienced being physically tired and hungry and a dozen other things that we go through in our humanity. Jesus went through them as well. And you know what propelled him through? The Holy Spirit. A quick overview of the book of Acts, and we could have written 10 more, but look at this list. This is all from the book of Acts, church. Jesus was anointed, validated by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was led, compelled, driven by the Holy Spirit. He taught in the power of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just his words and his wisdom. It was the Holy Spirit and God the Father giving him the words. How about this, number four? Anybody need this? Jesus had joy because of the Holy Spirit. Jesus preached and he gave captives freedom because of the Holy Spirit, Isaiah chapter 61. He loved by the power of the Spirit. He prayed by the power of the Spirit. He suffered by the power of the Spirit. All these things were true in the life of Christ. And now Jesus is saying they're going to be true in your lives as well. And that's where this next point comes in. Number three is simply this. Jesus says, second half of verse eight, Acts chapter one, he says, you will be my witnesses. Point number three, you will have a bigger role than you ever imagined. Okay, church, now follow me now. I don't know what you think of when you think about the idea of, huh, what does it mean to be a member of a church what does it mean to be an attender of a church? Or I'm part of Northwest Community Church. Does it mean that I just come once or twice or maybe even four times in a month and I just give a little bit of money? What does it mean to really be a member? Let's really dive into this. For them, it meant that they're going to have a much, much, much bigger role than they ever thought possible. How? It's all tied up in this word, witness. Jesus says, you will be my witness. All right, anybody here ever been in a court of law before? Actually, let's not ask that question. <laughs> Somebody's here who's a convicted felon. They're like, I thought this was a safe place. Okay, we won't. Hey, we've all got checkered pass and redemption is good. But maybe you've been in a court and maybe you've uh, experienced this and maybe you haven't. Maybe you've seen it on Judge Judy. Whatever it is. When we think about the word witness, what usually comes to our mind is the idea of somebody who was an observer, right? If there's ever an accident or you're in, you know, some sort of wreck or something, the police come and they're looking for witnesses. Who saw what happened? Who observed it? And I'm telling you right now, church, when Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, he's not just saying to the disciples, hey, you guys are the ones that have seen me do a lot of stuff. You've observed a lot. You've experienced a lot. That's not what he's saying. 
That's not what the word witness means in this context. It doesn't mean observation. It means something way different than that. It means to be an extension of Jesus to the world. You know what the word witness means in this context? It's the same word that we use for martyr. Somebody that is so dedicated, so committed that they're like, my life, I want to be just like you were, Jesus. You died for this faith. I want to die for this faith. Everything that I have, I want to give to it. And so this idea of being a witness means like, essentially, you're just going to be an extension of Jesus. And now for these guys and for us, hopefully it's starting to become a little bit more clear. We see connections between how God worked with Jesus and how now Jesus is empowering his church. Because Jesus was essentially a witness of God the Father, right? He was an extension of him. He was part of him. He was an incarnational flesh and blood. I am God representing God the Father. I am part of him. He is part of me. And I am in the world bringing forth his message. And in the same way, we are now an extension of Jesus. Does that excite anybody here or is it just me? I mean, think about this. Jesus is saying, hey, you know what? I'm leaving, but I'm not really leaving. Because you are going to be part of me. You are going to represent me. You are an extension of me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 says this. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So when we talk about the church, we're not talking about a gathering of people who gather for an hour and 15 minutes every week to hear some information, to sing some songs, and to give an offering. When we're really talking about the church, we're talking about this is the body of Christ. These are a bunch of little representatives of Jesus to the world. We are his body. And that's an unbelievable thought for us here. So what are they going to do with this? How are they going to respond to this? How should we respond to this? Point number four. What does Jesus tell them? You need to actively wait for God to move. Now, actively wait, Jerry, what are you talking about? Well, remember when we read early on in verse four that Jesus commanded them to not leave but to stay right there in Jerusalem, right? Well, let's skip down to the second half of verse 8 again. It says, you will be my witnesses. Oh, where, by the way? In Jerusalem, so you got to stay there. But in all of Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. You've got an incredible task that I am going to strengthen and empower you for. But you need to wait and be ready. Notice what it says in verse 9. And when he, that is Christ, had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now just dwell on this moment for a second, all right? 2,000 years ago, they had never seen what we've seen. We've seen little kids with balloons that let them go, and, you know, and they kind of go up there, first just by accident, then later on you figure out they're doing that on purpose. You know, just to see it disappear and just to watch it gaze up. They had never seen anything like that before. 
There was no uh, balloons back then. There was no hot air balloons. They'd never seen anything supernatural like that and didn't even know what to do with it. But yet Jesus is saying, um, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. I want you to be ready. And continue in verse 10. While they were gazing into heaven, they're just curious. They're gazing up there. As he went, behold, two men, that is angels, stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? In other words, I mean, is that not the dumbest question that you've ever heard? I mean, just think about what they've just seen, right? But in other words, he's saying, you know what? Don't worry. It's time to get to work. It's time to get to action. Don't just stand there and be bewildered. It's time to do something. And you know what it's time to do? To actively wait. Skip down to verse 14. And so then all of these disciples, all with one accord, it says, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So to actively wait means, okay, God, I'm hoping and praying that you're going to move. And I know you don't just want us to jump out and start doing stuff because you said to wait. And I know that you said that we're going to be your witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, the surrounding areas, and ultimately to the uttermost parts of the world. But you've told us to stay, so we're going to wait, but we're going to be active as we wait. We're going to open up our hearts and open up our minds. We're going to connect together with other believers and we're going to pray to the God of heaven, Lord, come, Lord, show us, Lord, direct us, Lord, fill us with your spirit. Jesus promised we're here, we're waiting, we're in one accord. And what an incredible place for us to be in as a church right now with this idea of actively waiting. Now, for us, as you're going to see next week, it's a little bit different. Remember, the Holy Spirit had not come down upon them yet. So that's different for us who are believers. We have received the Holy Spirit already. But even so, there's manifestations and powerful expressions in parts of our heart and soul and mind uh, that we need to yield to the Spirit and things that we need to step out on, courageous steps we need to take and all of that. But we are actively waiting. Lord, show us. Lord, open our hearts. Lord, open our minds. We are bonded together in prayer, vigilantly waiting. I just want to challenge us as a church right now to be in that very mode. Opening up our hearts, opening up our minds, saying, Lord, teach me. Lord, show me. Lord, help me know what you want me to do. I am waiting here for you, but I am open and I am listening. And it's amazing as a church body, if we start to follow after what these early Christians were doing, the manifestations that we're going to see in it. And over these last couple of weeks, I've heard four or five different incredible stories of people actively waiting and acting on something as God prompts them to do it for me. There were several things. Quickly, one was just this last Thursday. I'm sitting in our church office. Matt Rice, other pastor, sitting right there across from me. I'm pouring over this stuff, and I'm these ideas of actively waiting. Okay, God, what do you got for me? I look out our window, and there's this kind of a tough-looking dude I mean, you know where our church office is, many of you. It's kind of out there in the woods. 
a little creepy at times, especially late at night. But it's out there in the woods, White Oak Church Road and Morrisville Parkway. And there's this guy sitting up against this car. The hood's open. He's obviously broken down. I want to go talk to him. So I go outside, introduce myself to him as I get close. I mean, he's got tattoos all over. He's got like a, you know, nose ring or a lip ring thing going on. And that's all right. I'm like, hey, what's up, man? What's your name? My name's Johnny. All right, Johnny. What's going on, dude? He's like, ah, my car broke down. Somebody's on their way with some gas, but, you know, I'm just waiting. All right. Can I get you something to drink? We got lots of cold beverages. I'm actually a pastor, and this is our church office, and, you know, I'll be glad to do that. So I went and got him a drink, and I just felt the prompting to just start talking to him, hear a little bit about his story. So I started asking him, and sure enough, man, it's a mess. I started out by saying, dude, this may seem really weird, but I just want to know, is there any way I could pray for you? I really don't think it's an accident that you happen to break down right in front of a church office. Right? But anything going on in your life, anything I can pray for you about? And he proceeds to tell me this story of wreckage and brokenness and how he misses his kids and he's separated from the kid's mother and he only gets to see him every couple of weeks and he doesn't have any money and he's barely getting by just doing odd jobs and this and that. And I was able to, number one, say, you know what, man? <laughs> you know, like later on in Acts, we'll see that the apostles say, silver and gold I do not have, but in the name of Jesus, you know, rise and walk. Silver and gold I do not have, but I know that money's tough. I'll give you all the money that I have in my wallet. That was like $18. But he honestly didn't even know if he was going to have enough gas money to get home. Lived out in Clayton or somewhere out there. So I'm like, dude, I'll give you this without a doubt. Oh, that's so awesome, man. Thank you. I'm like, you know what, man? But that's nothing. Let me tell you about a Jesus that came to rescue any broken life and proceeded to share the gospel with them. And so, you know, the, the person came with the gas, and he left, and he shook my hand and gave me a hug. And I'm like, dude, you know where our church office is. Here's where our church is. We would love to see you any day. And Johnny, I'm going to be praying for you, man, praying that you, you realize these words and that, and that God lives and that God desires a relationship with you. He's not going to make everything great, but he's going to give you a purpose and a path towards redemption. But it's all because eyes are open, and we're looking for opportunities. I'll tell you what, man, God has rocked my world with how many stories just like that are going around, around hundreds and thousands right around us every single day. And if we're thinking about being the extension of Jesus and to do what he did and to be his representative, our eyes are going to be a lot more open to act on those. One more I want to share with you, man. Men's Fraternity Tuesday morning. Uh, this dude named Clarence Q. Probably not many of you guys know Clarence. Hasn't been coming here real long. Sits over back there in the shadows. Um, <laughs> I called him out first service and had him stand up. But I was talking to Clarence, just a quiet guy. And uh, he said, hey, man, I'm not going to be here next Tuesday morning. I'm like, what's going on? He said, uh, well, I'm, I'm flying to Texas, actually. And I'm going with Samaritan's Purse. And, um, you know, several, several weeks ago when you talked about taking the share fund offering and, and doing something and the world's broken, he's like, I, I wanted to do that. And you know what impacted me? It was a song that I heard on the radio, a song by a guy named Matthew West called Do Something. You guys know what I'm talking about? If not us, then who? If not now, then when? We got to do something. I'm not going to sing it for you. But that was God speaking to him through K-Love, positive and encouraging, 
And he's driving along. He's like, yeah, I got to do something. So I'm not going to wait for church administration and for David Amon to organize a well-oiled machine trip so that we can all go down to Houston, Texas and bless people. I'm not going to wait for that. I don't expect that. God's telling me I need to do something. Like, dude, that's unbelievable, man. That makes me so proud of you. That makes me proud to say that you're a member of our church, that we got those kind of people. Who are you going with? I'm not going with anybody. I'm just going by myself. Praise God for that, man. He's taking off work. He's leaving his family. To be the hands and feet of Christ, to be the representative of Jesus. And I tell you what, as we think about this whole idea of actively waiting, I imagine Jesus, as he was rising up in whatever way he rose up into the clouds, and all the disciples are, you know, hey, come back, you know, but here's Jesus, and it's getting farther and farther and farther and farther away. And I just imagine if Jesus is looking down on them, he's like, man, there is such potential energy for these guys. And man, just a few days from now, when the Holy Spirit empowers them, these guys have no idea what they're in for. On the one hand, they've got no idea that they are the vehicle that I'm going to use not just to stir things up in Jerusalem, but in Judea and Samaria, and ultimately throughout the course of the whole entire world. This little tiny band of people, Christianity, was tiny, by the way. Later on in chapter 1, they were gathered. You know how many they were? Verse 15, 120 people. There's way more than that in this room right now. That's all there was. Even after all the miracles and everything else, band of 120 people. And I wonder as Jesus was looking at them and seeing the potential, if his heart was just so full both of joy and expectation because he knew what they were going to be accomplishing, but he also knew um, what they were ultimately going to experience. Yeah, you're going to be my witnesses. Remember witness? What does it mean? Martyr. 11 of the 12 disciples were going to end up losing their life. And I imagine after they all died, and we know from Scripture and Revelation that martyrs especially are given the highest honor. And I wonder if all those guys that died for their faith, including many other Christians, as we'll see in these first 12 chapters, if they're gathered there with Jesus and they're hugging him and they're talking about life on earth and they're looking back on it. It's like, man, at that moment, we had no idea what to expect. We had no idea how much you were going to do through us. But man, we had no idea how much they were going to do to us. Man, Jesus, you strengthened us through it. You gave us that courage. And man, now I see extension of Jesus. I looked at Jesus living on the earth and you were a martyr and you were given strength and you suffered and you died and you were given the grace and mercy enough to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, even at that moment. And you will give if we step out on faith, even though it's going to be hard, even though we're going to be afraid, even though we're going to be anxious, even though we don't know the next step. God is going to give us the power through the Holy Spirit to do it. And I guess my church, I'm asking you, church, if you are ready for this, are we anxiously waiting for this? 
take a look at our schedule here. This is what the early church was, and this is what we want to be, Northwest Community Church. We want to be these witnesses. We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to be one. We want to be powerful. Do we want to be persecuted? I tell you what, in Scripture, if persecution makes us grow, if we're actually doing something that's causing someone to resist, then maybe we're doing something right. We want to be bold. We want to be generous. We want to be countercultural. We will be hated at times. We will be empowered for ministry. And we will be transformed. And as we expectantly look forward to the future, in the book of Acts and in the future of this church, our prayer is that we're saying, God, we're here and we're waiting and we're ready. Please, Lord, lead us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And God, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your power. Lord, we confess so many times where we try and do things on our own wisdom. We try and do things on our, on our own ability, according to our own logic. When, Lord, we just need to be infused with your wisdom. So, God, I pray that you would make this body of believers into extensions of you. And, God, that we wouldn't view church as something that we come and observe and we witness a couple of times a month. But, Lord, an opportunity where we scatter out and we truly are your hands and your feet in all the places that we live and the places that we work and the places that we go. So God, quicken our hearts and quicken our ears and quicken our minds to be aware as we actively wait to see where you're moving. And Lord, use us, we pray. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.